When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm well aware that you wear a fedora every day, Gavin, and you're one of the reasons why wearing a fedora will never, ever, ever again be cool. Yes. The following podcast contains... This outrageous behavior and shocking gutter talk. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you thought it might mean a thing, even though you couldn't do that swing, what the hell were you thinking, Daddy-O? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 341. I hurt myself doing the Lindy Hop edition of the show, where we talk about that minute in the 90s when we all thought we could swing dance. Stay tuned. The What the Only Thinking Podcast is brought to you by Big Daddy D's Powerful Pomade because that hair ain't slicking back itself. Are you a hep cat looking for a hot night on the town but troubled by hair that doesn't lie down? Big Daddy D's Powerful Pomade will make it slick like glass and smoother than a duck's ass. Simply dip your fingers, goop it on, and slick it back like you were greasing the extra joint of a 38 packer. Big Daddy D's is a mix of petroleum jelly, a secret blend of scents, and high-grade 10W40 motor oil. That'll keep that hair down no matter how hard you swing on the dance floor. Say goodbye to cowlicks and hello to ducktails with Big Daddy D's powerful pomade. Cultural appropriation never looks so good on you. The music may sound familiar, and the clothes are definitely a throwback to the 40s. But this is not your parents' swing scene. It's all about music, martinis, dancing, and driving in style. The new swing movement was born on the streets of San Francisco and has spread across the country quicker than you can order a cosmopolitan. So, you want to be a swinger? All you need is spectators and a fedora. As for the women, anything goes as long as the hair and makeup are perfect. For most of my life, I've not been one to jump on the cultural bandwagon i tend to side eye fads and blow by fashion trends as though they weren't there this is largely because well then apparently you hate fun it's not that i hate fun it's just that my idea of fun is different than everyone else's just drinking alone and moping in the dark you do you i'll do me what I'm trying to say is when it comes to the current big thing, I'm usually not there for it. Been that way most of my life. But there was this one time, I gotta admit, I was there for it in a very embarrassing way. You love Pokemon. Oh, God, no. But in hindsight, it was almost as bad. No, for a hot minute back in the late 90s, I was big into swing. You're one of those people. I was. I regret you to inform you that I very much was one of those people. 
The swing craze hit at the exact moment in time when I had a large influx of money and a great deal of time on my hands, which uh, created the perfect storm for me to fully embrace not just the music, but the entire essence of a very odd moment in late 20th century culture, the 90s swing revival. Now, did I own a zoot suit? Please say yes. Please say yes. Sadly, no. But that's not because I didn't want a zoot suit. But you see, the zoot suit was prohibitively expensive. I had a lot of expendable cash, but not that much expendable cash. Also, there was a certain body type that looked good in a zoot suit, and let's just say, it, it, it wasn't mine. Because you are a disgusting fat body... But I did have a loud jacket, a slick back hair, and the soundtrack to swingers on a constant repeat. Between that and the delusion that drinking a martini made me look cool and the even more ludicrous delusion that I could dance was enough to make me believe that I was a cool cat who thought that I was... Dude, you are so money. He didn't even know how money he was. It should not come as a surprise to anyone that I was not, in fact, money. In fact, I was less money and more a coupon for 10% off Gordon's Fish Sticks redeemable at the local Ralph's for a limited time only. The only saving grace in this is that I was very, very, very much not alone in the cultural moment. There were a lot of us looking really stupid on the dance floor across America. Before I can get to the swing revival, I guess I should take a moment to talk about the original swing craze. No teaching. No teaching. Fuck you. Yeah, I'm teaching history again. Jazz is, of course, the only music that can legitimately claim its origins in the United States. And like all the things that are actually cool in the United States, it came out of black culture. Swing was a form of jazz that began gaining popularity in the 1920s and fully coalesced in the 1930s. The name swing, according to Wikipedia, came from, quote, the emphasis on the offbeat or weaker pulse. Swing bands usually featured soloists who would improvise on the melody over the arrangement. The danceable swing style of big bands and band leaders such as Biddy Goodman was the dominant form of popular music from 1935 to 1946, known as the swing era. The verb to swing is also used as a term of praise for playing that has strong groove or drive. Notable musicians of the swing era include Duke Ellington, Benny Goodman, Count Basie, Cap Calloway, Jimmy Dorsey, Tommy Dorsey, Woody Herman, Harry James, Lionel Hampton, Glenn Miller, and Artie Shaw, unquote. Yeah, he's no Roy Donk, but he was a regular guest on the Colgate Hour. What? The high-energy music and flashy musicians created an equally high-energy dance craze and had the dancers emulating the fashion styles of the musicians who made the music. By 1935, the swing era was in full bloom. Not incidentally, it was co-opted by young white people who would frequent black clubs to dance the night away. Swing lasted through the Second World War, which is why you hear it played so much in all the old war movies, and eventually began to peter out after 1946. It wasn't so bad. Well, it gets bad after this. Because one of the reasons it faded out is there were, uh, there were incidents. I'm assuming it was other white people. Yeah, that would be a safe assumption. You see, one of the fashion trends that came out of the swing era was something called the zoot suit. Quoting from History.com, quote, Style-conscious Harlem dancers began wearing loose-fitting clothes that accentuated their movements. Men donned baggy trousers with cuffs and carefully tapered to prevent tripping. Long jackets with heavily padded shoulders and wide lapels. Long glittering watch chains and hats ranging from pork pies and fedoras to broad-brimmed sombreros, unquote. 
You've probably seen photos of them or their modern recreation. And to be totally honest with you, they are fucking amazing. The entire affectation of a zoot suit screams suave, youthful, hip vibes. It's a look that I wish that I could pull off even today. But no one wants to see a 52-year-old fat man in a zoot suit. No way. Nope. (laughs) You know who could pull off a zoot suit, though? Young Latino and African-American men. Naturally, this uh, this offended white people who just look silly in a zoot suit. Again, from History.com, quote, As the zoot suit became more popular among young men in African-American and Mexican-American and other minority communities, the clothes garnered a somewhat racist reputation. Latino youths in California is known as pachucos, often wearing flashy zoot suits, pork pie hats, and dangling watch chains, were increasingly viewed by affluent whites as menacing street thugs, gang members, and rebellious juvenile delinquents, unquote. And all of this would culminate in 1943 in Los Angeles in what would be called the Zoot Suit Riots. White servicemen's brawls with young Latino men got pumped by the media into a full-on race riot that was totally blamed on the white instigators. Wait, really? (laughs) No, of course not. They blamed the Mexicans who were rounded up by the hundreds by the LAPD. After the riots... Los Angeles passed a law banning the wearing of zoot suits. It wasn't the whole reason that the swing era ended, but uh, white people being white people, it definitely played its part. Flash forward 50 years. It's the mid-1990s. Generation X is in the full flower of our youth and cultural influence, and frankly, we're not having any of it. You millennials and some of you Gen Z folks, you guys find the baby boomers insufferable, but you should have seen them when they were your age. All of them were determined they were going to make their mark on the world, and the way they were going to do that was by getting us Gen Xers to buy their useless shit. They knew how to sell to each other, but they were bound and determined to crack the code on how to get the young people to purchase said useless shit. To be honest... We were perfectly happy to be conforming members of a consumer capitalist society. We just didn't want to look like we were conforming members of a consumer capitalist society. We're all hypocrites. Yeah, welcome to America, okay? The grunge movement had come and gone and rap was ascendant, but it was still a little too urban. You mean black? For marketing purposes, and Madison Avenue was having one hell of a time trying to pin down a way to convince 20-somethings that Toyotas and Sprite were worth sinking our disposable income into. It was a trying time for Madison Avenue, and we should all take a moment to bow our heads in remembrance of what a difficult time that was for them. Fortunately for our sisters and brothers in the marketing department, something was brewing in the subcultures that would soon bubble up into a genuine zeitgeist. If you... uh, Thought my history lesson on swing was, uh, you know... This is so boring and forever taking. I'm going to try and condense this down to the barest elements. Ska started in Jamaica just after World War II. Oh my God. Seriously? Seriously, this is a big thing. It could be a show by itself, and I'm going to do the best I can. Jamaican musicians took jazz swing, infused it with a proto-reggae beat, and created a new type of music called ska. Ska jumped to Great Britain in the 60s and 70s, where it merged, for some unexplained reasons, with early punk. 
and then evolved into late 80s Britpop, where it jumped the pond and arrived in America, where it percolated through various music scenes until it emerged again in the early 90s as third wave ska and bands that found some commercial success, like the Mighty Mighty Bostons, Real Big Fish, Less Than Jake, and No Doubt. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. You probably forgot if you ever knew that No Doubt was very much a ska band in its earliest iteration. This, of course, was before Gwen Stefani became a superstar in her own right, went mainstream pop, and eventually married Blake Shelton. Third Wave Ska was never a huge commercial success, but it really influenced a lot of musicians who would go on to become megastars in the late, two, in the late 1990s. One of the best-known bands, as I said earlier, was the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. That's a good song. The Rascal King is objectively a better one. More than just pop success, the ska movement infused big bands into pop music in a way that hadn't been seen since the 1960s. I mean, sure, the 80s had a sax solo, but a full-on brass ensemble? Kenneth Partridge wrote, In a hell of a hat, the rise of 90s ska and swing, quote, Swing and ska encouraged young people to actively engage with music, not just sit on the sidelines. You didn't have to become a mod or a rude boy to fill or fill your house with swanky mid-century furniture. Learning to tie a tie and wearing it while dancing yourself dehydrated at a ska show was enough. Even having the open-mindedness to let a little trombone into your life was something, unquote. And I'm not gonna lie to you, pod friends. Fucking ska was amazing music. It really did fit with the sort of optimistic boom times that were the late 1990s. Plus, think of all the band geeks that finally got their chance to be a fucking rock star. You tell that to a middle school trombonist in 1985, and they will not fucking believe you. The second part of the slow boil that was the swing movement came in the form of Hollywood movies. Now look, Hollywood has always had a love affair with big band music and the peculiar glamour of the original swing craze. Thank God for the gays. But in the 1990s, there were a few movies which prominently featured not just the music, but the dance and the outfits that deeply influenced a lot of people. The first of which was arguably Swing Kids. Germany, 1939. A nation declares war on freedom, armed with a powerful secret weapon. In Germany today, it is our youth who lead the way. They were trained to obey without question. Your loyalty is to the Führer above all else. All except the young rebels they called Swing Kids. Swing Heil. Swing Heil and Swing Kids were actually a real thing in Germany before the war where the middle-class kids embraced American music and made fun of Nazis that lasted right up until the time the Nazis hauled them off to the concentration camp. Wow. Should have seen that coming. 
Swing Kids, the movie didn't make bank at the box office, but it became a cult classic among the sort of youthful cognoscenti that tend to be trend makers. Another movie that had a quiet yet profound influence on the swing craze was Spike Lee's Malcolm X. You, uh... You want to run that by me again? Tom Bryan wrote in Stereo Gum where a lot of the background for this pod came from. Put it this way. Quote, I probably shouldn't even be admitting this shit in public, but the Lindy Hop scenes from Spike Lee's Malcolm X left an even deeper impression. They were even more vivid and elaborate than the Swing Kids scenes, and they were way more colorful. Those scenes were the ones I remembered the most. This has to be the most clueless white kid thing in the whole fucking world. Going to see Malcolm Epson falling in love with the fucking swing dancing scenes. But there it is, unquote. You know, he's 100% spot on. The clothes, the dancing, the music, and Malcolm X are exactly what us dumb white kids sought to replicate in the 90s. Two varying degrees of embarrassing failures. Then there was... Jim Carrey's The Mask. What can you say? The music was amazing and the clothes were cool as fuck. The movie, well, if you like the movie, I'm not going to shit on your parade. But there was one movie that encapsulated all the nascent longing for the swing age, mixed it with historically inappropriate 60s lounge act chic, and distilled it out into the 1990s Gen X yearning for the ultimate and what we considered cool. In the city of Los Angeles, where everyone is a player. What do you guys do? I'm a producer. Mike can't even get a seat on the bench. Where do I know you from? You ever been to the Ha Ha Hole on, a, on Pico? Oh, you're, you're a comedian. It's a, you know, it's a dream. You know, it's a lot of hard work and travel. I know where it is. Starbucks. He came in and, and asked me for an application. But now his closest friends are getting him back into the swing of things. Vegas, baby, Vegas! Vince Vaughn, Heather Graham, and post-PCU, but pre-MCU, John Favreau. I don't know if you're aware of this, Gutter, but there actually was music recorded before 1989. What is this? You're going to wear this to the show. You're going to wear the shirt of the band you're going to go see. Don't be that guy. Portray young and hungry Los Angelinos struggling to break big and show business by going to Las Vegas and speaking in somewhat incomprehensible slang. Mike, I'm telling you, you're money. You're so fucking money. I don't know how swingers were received in the rest of the country, but in California, even in the down-rent, unfashionable corners of Northern California where I lived, a certain subset of young men were suddenly wearing bully shirts with tank top t-shirts or ties so wide you could land a passenger jet on them. Those ties were also so bright and so loud one could land said passenger jet on them at night without the benefit of runway lights. And, uh, you know... God help us. God help us all. The hats pork pies and fedoras as far as the eye could see. And before you ask, yes, for my sins, I had a bowling shirt and a pork pie hat. Grailed.com put forth this opinion on the fashion of swingers and the swing craze. Quote, the fashion of the swing revival is only a mystery if we forget that fashion is not always about looking good. Sometimes it's about feeling good. 
Sometimes fashion is reactionary, conservative, and even ugly. And if the fashion of this era was never about looking good, but rather about grasping onto a waning style amidst a rushing cultural tidal wave that felt foreign, alienating, and way too cool, it should, by definition, be bad. It shouldn't surprise us that the clothes and swingers are so ugly, they were never about looking good in the first place. Unquote. All the elements were in place, and all of a sudden, swing music was everywhere both the old and a new generation of what was called neo-swing. Richard Harrington wrote in the Washington Post in 1998, quote, These neo-swing bands are filled with refugees from punk and alternative rock who sport shiny zoot suits, wide ties, wide-brimmed fedoras, and two-toned shoes. They serve up a propulsive sound built on screaming syncopated horns, thundering drums, and thumping stand-up beasts, and sing sly, fun-filled songs about gambling, drinking, and romancing dizzy dames. They call it swing, but little of this music fits the traditional definition of swing. The lush, sweetly melodic dance of the 1930s and 1940s pervaded by Glenn Miller, Duke Ellington, Biddy Goodman, Artie Shaw, and Count Basie, unquote. You mean like household names like Roy Donk or Jack Marshall who wrote the Munsters theme song? And neo-swing bands came on the scene. Acts like Royal Crown Review. Or the Squirrel Nut Zippers. In the afterlife, you could be headed for the serious drive. Now you make the scene all day, but tomorrow they'll be held to pay. And of course, the rather unfortunately named, but it was the 90s, Cherry Poppin' Daddies. Who's that whispering in the trees? It's two cities and they're only pipes and chains and swinging hands. Who's your daddy? Yes, I am. Or how about Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and my favorite swing song of the time? If you think I'm not listening to Big Bad Voodoo Daddy after I'm done recording tonight, you don't know me very well. And they met up with old rockabilly standards like Brian Setzer, whose cover of Louis Prima's... Put Swing in heavy rotation on MTV in 1997 and 1998. 
but they had a harder run on commercial radio. The songs were too long for most formats, and frankly, by the time the swing craze hit its stride, commercial radio was already turning its focus to the next generation coming up who had no interest in learning the Lindy Hopper, pegging the legs on their suit. They were into rap, hip-hop, and boy bands, and they were just off stage waiting their turn. I'm looking at you, millennials. But man, for that year, it didn't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Swing clubs popped up in cities around the country, New York, San Francisco, and definitely Los Angeles, feature clubs that could be transported directly from 1935, except with somewhat less overt racism. The website homeofhappyfeet.com had this to say, quote, we weren't purists in any sense of the word for music, fashion, or movies. We were as glad to borrow a turn palette from the West Coast swing or a vintage video or something we saw on the floor. It was a bit of a mess. Some of the music was from the 90s. Some was from the 30s. The flyers were made from fonts with the 1950s. And I don't know what era the bowling shirts came from. The zoot suits were unintentionally in bad taste. And the wallet chains were decidedly 90s. We went from the 30s to the 90s to the 50s and back on the only thing that really mattered is that we wanted to dance all the time to just about everything. On the whole, most dancers, myself included, were blissfully uneducated about music. Songs tended to be fairly fast or fairly slow. It either had to be fast that had a six count that didn't seem boring or slow enough that our newfound Lindy Hop steps would work without us having to think too much. Very, very few dancers knew how to do the Balboa. For the first three years that I knew of the Balboa, we had basics fall off the log and maybe three, four turns. Fashion was much more relaxed. We'd put on bowling shoes with a 70s suit, a 40s tie and a hat that made no sense house dresses were worn like evening gowns snooze like an updo and that was all before the mod robes the split sole sneakers and the athletic wear came along the era of bedazzled denim we dressed like our favorite teachers most of whom had a very personal fashion choices to say the least we danced in restaurants if the song moved us and generally did not give a fuck for better or worse lindy bombing as it was known makes us cringe now but it shows how much we love swing nothing could stop a swing out when the music hit not a lack of room manners or other people's comfort or the safety of small children nearby unquote huh sounds like a flash mob but it's a flash mob a flash mob if there's no social media to post it on i mean what were you gonna do put it on aol instant messenger now as to this whole dancing part of the thing it's gonna surprise some of you but uh I'm not an athletic person. Sir, I am shocked. And swing dancing is to say an energetic form of dancing. The participants are required to exhibit things like timing or rhythm. Two things your humble pot host just never had much of. There were spins and twirls and dives and dips and lifts and slides for both partners and swing required stamina, agility, and you know what, a certain grace and of those things I had no no none of those things despite that I and a certain young lady of my spent a not insignificant amount of money on dance lessons that would teach us how to lindy hop or jitterbug or do the east coast swing the collegiate shag the kalamazoo boogie shoe the jive the balboa the charleston the carolina shag or dc hand dancing and at least one of those dances i just now made up 
And at the end of six weeks and a couple of hundred bucks later, the young lady of my acquaintance could do all of those excepting the one that I just made up. And I uh, can't dance for shit. Cannot dance for shit. She wound up dating one of the guys who could dance in the class. And I, I went back to pretending I liked martinis and imitating Dean Martin. You're nobody till somebody loves you. You're nobody till somebody cares. Yeah, thanks, Dean. I figured that out when she Limdy hopped off the fucking dance floor with a guy named Brad. That was the other thing. We blurred a lot of historical lines. 30s jazz with 60s era rat pack booze and everyone was just out there recovering from jump jive and whale and the DJ would slap on Tony Bennett or Dean Martin who would croon about leaving their hearts in San Francisco how you're nobody till somebody loves you and walks off the dance floor with a guy named Brad and we mopped our sweaty brows smoked our cigarettes and drank our old fashions and if we weren't dressed in a zoot suit and frankly none of us were the dudes could basically pull off a black suit and tie the ladies could pull off something off a vintage rack and simply be fucking stunning the fashion was definitely more 60s and 30s for the women but that was probably because the examples and the secondhand clothes from the 60s were much easier to find and all in all we were having fun it was mostly harmless. I mean, sure, there was some cultural appropriation, but just name one single pop moment culture in American history that didn't have some of cultural appropriation going on. But you know who was the most happy about this swing craze? <laughs> oh my God. It was the boomers in the advertising industry because here was something they could exploit for profit. The best part for them about the old swing music is that it was stolen from black performers for a pittance of his actual worth and could be purchased for pennies and slotted right into television commercials selling everything. Again, from that 98 Washington Post article, quote, and although it's still a rarity on the radio, except on some very oldie stations, swing is now the favorite style on Madison Avenue. It's ads for the Gap, Toyota, Dockers, and Coke, and other products, as well as promotional music on the WB network. It's hip, and in terms of corporate image, it's a safe thing compared to rock and hip hop, unquote. You could not turn the TV station in 98 without a brand blasting Glenn Miller or Count Basie trying desperately to convince us kids to buy honey bunches of oats or bounty paper towels. But there was one commercial that is pretty much universally blamed for the end of the swing craze. And the second everyone saw it, they took off our bowling shirts, tossed their pork pie hats in the trash, and took their big bad voodoo daddy CDs out of the five disc carousel and put them in the case and back on the rack because we finally realized how silly we looked. That commercial was of course the lamest and the whitest clothing brand ever created in human history, The Gap. All it was was a room full of khaki clad white people, two of them dancing and the rest barely moving to Louis Prima's Jump Jive and Whale and we took one look at that and said, you know what, uh, I think... Uh, We're done here. 
Some people say the Gap ad was the beginning of the swing movement, but everyone on the dance floor knew it was the end. Just as suddenly as it began, swing was done. I mean, not done done. Swing music has never really gone away. It's always there in the background, and there are still swing classes out there to be taken today. Though instead of young, beautiful people being so money they didn't know how money they were, it's mostly middle-aged Gen Xers whose couples therapists suggested they try something different to rekindle the fire in the old bedroom. So now Brian and Jennifer are doing a dramatically pared down Lindy Hop trying to remember how they used to dance up a sweat and then fuck in the bathroom right after they came off the dance floor back in 97. There's a healthy big band cover movement on YouTube where modern bands cover song, modern songs in the big band style. And of course, the 30s and 40s classics are still popular at weddings, bar and bat mitzvahs and social nights at the old folks home. But no one is pegging their pants suits, putting curlers in their hair before pulling on stockings and a poodle dress before they go out for the night. And although I've been noticing of late that here in Manhattan that young women are wearing high-waisted pants, quite reminiscent of men's fashion in the zoot suit days. So... Who knows? Maybe the movement will see an androgynous comeback. But for the most part, the swing revival was just a quirky moment in the last good years of the last good decades of the last good century in the last millennium before 9-11, the wars, the crash, the Donald and the plague. Gen Xers look back on it with a nostalgic smile. Exidials with a bittersweet desire of a teenager who was just old enough to want to be part of it, but still young enough to be to not be a part of it. And everyone else looks at it with confusion as to what the fuck happened to which I give you Twitter user Ask Esquire 29 who replied to a Twitter thread in mid-November of this year asking for some explanation on this phenomenon. Quote, that's not even the strangest musical revival craze of the 90s, referring to the double platinum number three Billboard album of 1994, which honest to fucking God had real ass Benedictine months singing Gregorian chant. And yes, I had the album, though I did not dress as a Benedictine monk, but looking back on it now, those robes do look super comfortable. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. Man, I wish I could wear a zoot suit. Sadly, I've got a bowling shirt body. Gen Z really needs to bring back Ska and Swing. I could use some 
new music to listen to. Speaking of everything old, being new again, rate and review this podcast wherever you get your pods so people can hear it and wonder why you suggested listening to an old man wax nostalgic about an ephemeral music craze from 20 odd years ago. All of my outdated opinions are on the social the hell underscore podcast on Twitter, the show name on Facebook, and what the hell were you thinking pod on Instagram. All of the calls and responses can be found at whatthehellpodcast.com and we are proud members of the Seltzer kings podcast network who are so so very money so for me dave vegas baby vegas blood soap producer there's nothing wrong with letting the girls know that you're money and that you want to party gavin and all the fictional beautiful babies on the show we want to say i don't want you to be the guy in the pg-13 movie everyone's really hoping makes it happen I want you to be the guy in the R-rated R movie, you know, the guy you're not sure whether you like or not. And we'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. We're gonna give Daddy the Rain Man suite. You dig that? We're going to Vegas, Mike. Vegas! Vegas. You think we get there by midnight? Money, we're gonna be up 500 by midnight. Yeah, <laughs> Vegas! Vegas, baby! Vegas! Vegas.